I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Hey, this is Nia. I am recording this on Thursday, March 25. An extra little intro here. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded prior to the mass shooting in Boulder. Um, This is also the sixth time I've attempted to record this. And I think the reality is that even three days later, um, everything's really raw and I don't know what to say. I don't yet have words of encouragement or, you know, sentiments like Boulder Strong because this shooting has impacted people I care about and uh, the ripples are very direct Um, so for those of you outside of the area please keep Boulder in your thoughts this is a small community and I think everybody's impacted in some way shape or form Um, and those of you locally um, I'm with you in, in every way possible right now love you all Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, uh, listeners. This is our dual recording. So we are still live on March 15, not releasing this till the 29th. We will see how our coherency maintains throughout this recording because we do have a tendency for it to decline pretty quickly. (laughs) This could go in the shit pile, otherwise known as VIP access through (laughs) our... (laughs) Our membership for members only. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, part of this, though, is because spring break, um, although spring break looks a little different this year. Um, I, I'm, like, not even sure how to, like, conceptualize what spring break feels like for a child right now. I don't know either. Um, I think it's getting out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> So where whatever that looks like or um, yeah, I know for my kids, I'm just thinking about my kids and we have spent obviously more time in our home in the last year than we probably will, I don't know, the next five years combined. Yeah. And some of that's been really nice um, and it's a new level of cabin fever. Yeah. I'm feeling it so acutely right now because I haven't left our house since Thursday night. And it's Monday <gasps> afternoon. Yeah. That can happen so fast. It can a, a week can go by in the blink of an eye. And it's like, I haven't even stepped foot outside. Well, and with the snow, it's like, why would I? Right. Why would you? Ugh. I'm not meant to be a Colorado person. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't... I just, I thought about it yesterday. I mean, I really had to kind of force myself to get my kids to go outside and enjoy the snow. I hate the snow. I hate the cold. I haven't taught them to ski yet. Like, I just feel like I'm failing as a Colorado parent. I'm not, like, out sledding with them, and I just can't stand it. I mean... Maybe it's because I grew up in Ohio and it's just so cold there. I mean, 
that kind of wet cold that we always had. You know, you're from Michigan, um, that Midwestern cold. And so, I don't know. I leave it. Luckily, my husband's from Alabama. And so he's like, this is awesome. I didn't have snow growing up. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Take him to the park. When we first moved to Colorado, one of our um, our best couple friends had also just moved here, probably like within a week of us. Um, but they were from Georgia. Mm. And so we spent our first Colorado Thanksgiving together and it snowed on Thanksgiving Day. And for our buddy Trey from Georgia, it was the first time he had ever experienced snow. And to see, like, I want to say he was like 6'2", 6'3". I mean, he was a big guy. Just standing in the snow in absolute wonderment and excitement was so amazing. I know. Can you imagine where I, my freshman year in college, I, for some reason, have no idea, I went to school in Indiana and I'm from Ohio, was um, housed in the international dorm. Sure. Ohio <laughs> does feel like another country sometimes. <laughs> no way. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I love people that live all over the world and learning about where they live. And I will never forget our first snow that year, freshman year, and all of the kids who um, had come from places that didn't have snow, Aww. like a, a lot of um, – uh, yeah, that just came from places that were warm climates, were all outside. I mean, there was like a big group of them like jumping up and down, so excited to see snow for the first time. Aw. We did an annual snowball fight uh, in college during the first big snow. I One year I lived in um, one of the biggest dorms on campus. So we're probably talking like a thousand students in my dorm. Wow. And then across the street was another dorm with a thousand students. And so we did, we had a, a tournament t- between our two dorms of a snowball fight on that first night. How many broken windows were there? That's a good question. I don't, I don't remember there being much destruction, mostly probably because the dorms were set back pretty far from the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also, you know, like 20 years old. So who knows what I actually remember. <laughs> exactly. That was it's all a, a million years ago. <laughs> it's probably like things are broken it's okay we're kids (laughs) well i'm looking forward to next week we are going camping taking our trailer and um it it was really about looking at a map and seeing what was the closest place that we could get to that wasn't freezing every night and we're like that's "That's where we're gonna go (laughs) we'll go there just think about what it's gonna mean for your brain to be off zoom for that time (sighs) oh I'm I'm so excited to to hear what it was like. <laughs> I know. Well, now we got to plan a trip for you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll work on it. Okay. <laughs> Waiting for my Fauci ouchie. Yeah, I know, right? Well, and I put it out there that I wanted the vaccine by my birthday, which is the end of May, and now Polis came back and said could be sooner, end of April, right? Yeah, you might you might have your wish. Woo-hoo. Look at that manifesting right there. Put it in the universe. <laughs> it's all because of me. You're welcome, everyone. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about gift matches. Ooh, so exciting. Is it? A, what? Uh, it is. Well, you and I have been talking about this a lot lately, so that's why I'm really excited to talk about it. Yes. Um. But what is a gift match? 
So often when we talk about matches, we're actually talking about two different things, a challenge and an outright matching gift. So I want to distinguish the two and then say that they're very similar. So a match <laughs> is simply a, a gift that's essentially promised by a donor once another donor or donors give the same amount, typically. So we'll give you $10,000 if you can raise $10,000 from somebody else. Great. Yep. Direct match. A challenge is often something that's going to require a lot of donors. And it could be a, um, a direct match like that, but it could also be a challenge in another way. Uh, get 20 monthly donors. Uh, engage 100 brand new donors, right? So there, there are some different metrics you can use, but it is paid out only when the outcome is actually reached by the organization. Well, technically, both of them are supposed to be that way. Technically, but usually with a matching <laughs> gift, it's based like the really boring accounting thing on the back end is that the gift can be made or promised and then held in restriction until the the match is met, whereas a challenge is typically not even paid out until it's fully met. But the purpose of both of them is to inspire other donors to step up and that in essence, by giving during this time for this particular challenge or match their gift will go quote-unquote further yes you're stimulating other gifts by giving a match you're hoping that others will step up um and we hear it a lot i mean in events how many paddle raises have you done where you started off with a match i've done both a match and a challenge yeah and in a lot of ways it's almost like seed money like okay we say we need to raise fifty thousand dollars we actually already have 25 if we can raise the other 25. That's exactly right. So it feels a bit more attainable. Um, we see it in all kinds of campaigns. You hear it on the radio a lot. If you listen to any kind of public media, they um, definitely use matches and have for decades. In their gift drives. Yeah, in all of their big drives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's part of actually what spurred this on. I was listening to some public media recently. I'm not going to name the, the organization. Some of you might know it, though. They were doing their annual drive or maybe even twice annual drive. Um, and this was a really unique match. And I haven't heard of something quite like this before. Essentially, they had a donor or a foundation, I can't even remember now, who said they would match every gift up to a certain amount to a different donation or to a different organization, I should say. Say what? I know. When you first said this to me, I had I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. So my, my guess is that the impetus for this was that, especially in public media over the last year, and, and I would just say like arts and media in general, there's been this sense that donors have been directing funds to direct service organizations. They've been ensuring that shelters, food banks, et cetera, have been funded, and that has caused a decline in some of these other types of gifts. So this donor, whether asked by the organization or unprompted, said, I don't want your donors to have to choose. So if they give to you, I will match their gift to this, I think it's a food service organization in, not necessarily in their name, but because of their gift. So that way they are giving both to this public media institution and to this direct service organization. I am so fascinated by this. One, would love to know if it worked. Two, <clears throat> would love to know Whose idea it was. Me too. 
Like, how did this even come about? Yeah. Did the organization approach the donor and was like, here's what we're hearing from our current donors. Here's why people are maybe lapsing or decreasing gifts. Can you help us by doing this thing that we think will overcome that? I don't know. So, again, just to clarify, because I just think this is so unique and really kind of wonky. Let's say you, Nia, are the executive director of a local food bank. Yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry. You are the executive director, change that, of a local theater company. Okay. Okay. Community theater. Love it. Wasink Community Theater. I'm in. Wasink Community Theater. And I am a large donor in town. Uh Uh-huh. And so I come to you and I say, Nia, I know you've been struggling and you really need this gift drive that you're about to do to be successful. We can't put on cats again without it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to lose the community theater. Yeah. Right? But we also know that people are still struggling uh, with the unemployment rates and more women than ever leaving the workforce. And that's what we're hearing from our donors, too. And needing to put food on their table. And so this is what I would like to propose. How about you try to raise your $20,000 and if you can raise $20,000... I will give $20,000 to the local food bank. That I'm in. Can we tell our donors about that? <laughs> let's let's try. Would you like sponsorship of Cats Opening Night? <laughs> yes, for free. Obviously. With 10, with 10 front row tickets. Two of which you'll actually fill. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially it, except it was a true match. So... You say $20,000 is the goal. If we only reach $10,000, they are still going to match that $10,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yes, that is in essence what happened. I have never heard of that. Me neither. Did it work? I know. I wish they would tell us. Can we call them? I mean, I'm a donor. I have the right to know. You do have the right to know. (laughs) I am demand, not that owner. The, demand the information. I've been giving $10 a month. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, I have such mixed feelings about matches in general. I do too. I do too. What are your mixed feelings? Because I usually start off on my soapbox. I want you to. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Uh, full disclaimer, I have used matches a lot. And I've used them because they work. And when I say they work, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, they, it's so funny because the idea of them is that it's going to inspire this small mass of donors to give, yeah. right? But when I say it works, it works to get the bigger donor to give the match. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. So I can't tell you how many times I have upgraded a donor that they have given X amount every year. And I have said, hey, I have this idea. What if you gave Y amount, which was maybe even sometimes twice X amount, so that we could use that as a match and hit our goal for this event? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they say yes. Mm -hmm. 
because they're giving more, but they feel that they're inspiring everybody else to give more. And so they do it. It's that leverage dollars concept. And I think, I, I don't want this to sound as negative as it's going to come off, but I think it plays into that donor savior complex. Like my my dollars are doing that much more because they're leveraged as a match. And so it, it excites the the match giver. We do also know on the back end, it definitely does increase outright donations towards that match by on average 19%. Does it really? Yeah. Well, so the other thing is that then I take the match mm-hmm. that I've just doubled. So we have our our donor A and I've gone to them and said, I want to do this match. They usually give me $10,000 every year. And I said, can you give me 20 And they to do this match? They said, yes. I'm like, yes. So then I use that to go to other donors that usually just give me $2,500 a year. And I say, hey, I got this awesome match. And I think that we can do it. Is there any way that you could give me five grand? Because I have this other donor will give me five grand if you give me five grand. Then I'll have 10 grand and then I'll have half the match already. And they're like, yes, I'm in. I mean, again, it works. It works. And I don't know. Again, I. it's also that like, well, if this person is willing to make this big investment and this other person's willing to make a big investment, then I guess I'm willing to make it. I don't know what it is. It's like some sort of now it's legitimized the whole gift. Well, so that's funny. So um, I pulled actual research. We're talking like straight up peer reviewed papers for this episode. That's what I did for you listeners. I read economics fucking papers. We love you, Nia. Because you know I'm not doing it. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll read it and go, what? Do you know who John List is? No. It wasn't that outlandish. He um, is half of the Freakonomics team. You remember that book and then a podcast, Freakonomics? Okay. Yes. Um, A lot of his research, though, is around charitable giving. So... um, they, they did this really interesting study. Um, they, what you're talking about there worked when it was a high-profile lead gift in the match. So they call this the BMGF treatment or the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation treatment. Ah, uh, ha, 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 yeah. So when that, that match was from a predominant philanthropist, somebody who's well-respected, somebody who is – kind of well noted in the nonprofit sector for their ability to do philanthropy well, quote unquote, it then brought in other large high profile donors. Okay. The the assumption there is that who's better equipped to assess the quality of an, a nonprofit and ensure that the the gifts are going to be used well. Somebody like Bill and Melinda Gates. So if they will, I will. Yeah, I totally get that um, rationale. I mean, I see how that plays out all the time. But I've had it work. It's probably doing the same thing, but without a name. Mm -hmm. I've had it work multiple times where the lead gift donor is not named. Yeah. But the gift is so big, or I should say bigger than the organization has ever seen before, Mm -hmm. and the other donors know that, that it's, it's notable. Yeah. Right? Like, whoa, somebody is willing to give that amount of money? Mm-hmm. All right. Then this is legitimate. Yeah. We're, I want in. I want in on this. Mm-hmm. So here's where I 
I, I dislike challenges primarily and then secondarily matches. And here's why. Because the assumption is the challenge gift maker has the ability to give that full amount. So we say we want 100 new donors in this campaign, then you're going to give us $20,000. If we don't hit that and they don't disperse the gift on their side, and it could even just be that they do a pro rata share. You hit half your mark, you get half our gift. That's bullshit. You yeah. had the ability to make the gift. You intended to give to us and you decided not to. I hate that. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, if we're going to be honest on here, which we told ourselves we were, um, most matches I get are guaranteed, even if we don't hit it. And then that was going to be my second point. So that's why I hate challenges. Matches, I think, are just a little bit disingenuous because you're going to get the gift either way. Yeah. And, it, and I know it's a, it's a tool used. I, I think every nonprofit I've ever worked for had used matches, used matches while I was there. It is such a strong vehicle. I mean, with a 19% increase in gifts, obviously it works on donors. And at the end of the day, it's a construct. It's not real. Well, it's so funny because every once in a while, then you get the, the matches that truly are a match. And you're like, no, this is like a true match. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. This is the real, you know, I, I'm not joking now. This really is it. We really have to hit it. Yeah. <laughs> but then it goes back to what you said of, you know, is that appropriate then if they have the funds available and are willing to give that amount, but then won't if... You can't match it. Right. Because I guarantee you there's times, I mean, when you get a match like that, it's almost as if you have to do an internal feasibility study, right? <laughs> like quickly impromptu in your head, can we actually match this? Yeah. Because nobody wants to take on something like that if they can't be successful. Oh my God. You're reminding me of the worst example of this ever. Oh, do it. Oh, my God. Okay, so it was my event. I was DD for this organization. Oh, God. My stomach hurts thinking about this. Um, so we're at, like, the big paddle raise moment. I've prepped this board member. He's fun. He's gregarious. He's going to be perfect for it. Um, and it's time for him to make the, the ask. And he and his wife were pledging a match at the same time. Okay. Instead of doing the straight match... Uh, which was just like over the paddle raiser, we need to hit this amount. I don't even remember. Like what it, dollar for dollar. Yeah. I want to say it was like 20000 but I, I don't really remember. Instead, he says, if one person will give me $20,000, I will jump in this pool. What pool? The, we were at an, a venue with a pool. Do you think anybody gave $20,000? No. Oh. No. And then he just jumped in the pool. What? It's like if, if, if nonprofit events ever had a sitcom, this is the moment where everybody's just standing around like crickets. What the fuck just happened? I have so many questions. We can debrief later. But why is your MC jumping in a pool in the first place? Fully clothed. Like, fully clothed. Well, of course, because he thought that that was going to be did he not have any conversations about whether or not there was a donor in the crowd that... No. Which is why it was like an overall match. Like, I, 
again, I don't remember the exact figures. We assumed we'd get about 50K overall from the paddle, we'll just say. They were giving not quite half of that. So obviously, like, he was our lead donor. Everybody <sighs> else was going to be less. And then he, yeah. he basically threw the ask, like, because now he's in the pool. There's nobody to ask for money. <laughs> I just remember what I was standing a nightmare. I was standing on like the podium with him looking across the pool at my ED to be like, what? I what? what just what happened? do I do? <laughs> this what is not the wife doing. I don't I don't remember. Oh, my God. Uh, that is hysterical. Um, so glad that hasn't happened to me. <laughs> But I mean, it makes me think if somebody came up and was like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you can match it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what if you can't match it? Right. Well, beyond pool jumping, do you know or could you guess, I should say, when matches actually have an inverse effect, a negative effect on the organization? When they're not met? Well, that could be. Actually, I don't have data on that. Um, okay. It's when it's not a one-for-one one match. So have you ever seen one-for-two, oh. one-for-three matches? Yeah. It's like people don't get the math. They're, that's part of it. But they also said that this is especially true with lapse donors, that they have a predominantly negative response to that. I would really love to know the why behind all of this. Like, I want their donor list so I can call them and say, why does this bother you? Yeah. But they said that, let me get the exact quote. Those who have given less recently, so time-wise, they've given not in the recent past, respond negatively to the match and even more negatively to a one-for-three-dollar matching ratio. But those who have given more recently prior to the matching offer do not have negative responses to the match. So essentially, your lapsed donors are pissed off if you're doing a one-for-three match. Right, you give $10 and this other person will give 30 Yeah. They don't like that. No. But if you just gave to them two weeks ago, then you're like, that sounds good. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. That's fascinating. I have no idea. Like, what, are your, what do you think off the top of your head? My only thought was that it was almost like an overabundance of riches. Um. Like, I think your math piece is part of it. Most Americans are just real shit at math. Um, yep. But then there's this piece of like, wait, you have a donor who can literally give three times what I can give? Do you even need me? Aha. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's such a great point is whatever you end up doing, it has to be simple. Yeah. Right? People have to understand it. Um, I've had a challenge before where a donor basically wanted to give us a larger sum than they've ever given. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted us to use it in some way to inspire further giving. But it wasn't enough to really be a dollar for dollar match mm-hmm. because my goal was much higher than that. Yeah. And so we used it as a challenge gift or what we called a bonus gift. And it was during a paddle raise and we essentially said, if we can get five people to raise their paddle at this certain level, it's going to unlock this bonus gift of $15,000 or whatever it was. Um, 
And because I think it was clear of like, okay, we need five people at this level, uh, it really worked. But we talked through it multiple times because it could get really wonky, you know? Yeah. And people are like, what? I don't understand. Is it a match? Is it, what's a bonus gift? You mean like how um, incentive gifts are confusing? <laughs> yes. It's been a while since we've gone off about Colorado Gives Day. It is true. It is true. It's like uh, First Bank's incentive fund for Colorado Gives Day that I cannot tell you how many donors have said, oh, I'll give to you on Colorado Gives Day because then you'll get the match. I ha- it's not a fucking match. It's not a match. I've had clients who have asked donors to give at a different time of year or in a different way just because of that incentive fund, which I'm putting in air quotes, um, because they, they thought there was some sort of matching thing. It's not a match. And at this point, the incentive fund essentially just covers credit card fees. That's right. And that's probably because they heard us saying, we're not even telling our donors to give to us on Colorado Gives Day or through the Colorado Gives Day website. Give through our website, and then we don't have to pay the extra fees. Yeah. But now they have the incentive fund, well, the incentive fund, and then, you know, they're asking donors to cover the fees um, to make it worthwhile for nonprofits. Oh, it's so ridiculous. And I I will say it is one of the most confusing things, I think, of Colorado Gives Day for the average donor. It's pennies to the dollar. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what the percentage is, but. It's down to next to nothing. Uh, For those of you outside of Colorado, um, first off, you should go back and listen to our episodes on giving days and year-end appeals where we really flesh it out. But essentially, we have a giving day that's hosted by a local foundation and, um, they get sponsors that provide this incentive fund. And some of it is outright um, gifts, but like as prizes. Yeah. Um, they give one out randomly for everybody who completes their profile early and everybody who gets a trivia question right and all of that. But then there is a percentage base distribution to everybody who participates on Colorado Gives Day. And in the early days, it was much more significant. But now... Every nonprofit in Colorado is essentially on Colorado Gives Day and giving, and they're raising so much more money, but the pot hasn't grown at the same rate that it is very minuscule. And the early marketing around it being like a semi-match has confused the hell out of donors where they think that they're doing a big thing by helping us get access to that incentive fund on Colorado Gives Day. Yeah, great explanation. So, I mean, so what's your thoughts? You said you usually get out your soapbox. I gave them. So, Challenges are shit because the donor has full capacity to give it and sometimes then won't. And matches are kind of deceitful. Yeah. So it goes back to what we talk about a lot here on the podcast, uh, fundraising practices that quote unquote work but maybe aren't always in line with the values yeah. that we have potentially as an organization or even just as a person. Yeah. And fundamentally, at the end of the day, what gets me about it is it's like we have to trick people. When why can't they just give us, if they think that our mission and our work is worth it, why can't they just give that? 
Yeah. To begin with. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, probably just goes back to the overall cultural values around philanthropy that aren't instilled significantly enough in American culture. And that's kind of shit. Well, and it's, it's at a, at the very basic level goal setting, right? I mean, people love to have a goal. And so when you have a match like that, it's like putting a goal out there that people feel part of something collectively that achieves something at the end. Right. Well, and I think that's that's probably one of the big reasons we do it is because it's a goal, but with this added benefit. Right. And I think donors do give to it because they genuinely want to help. They, they want to help unlock these things. So th- this isn't a critique on donors who are engaging in match campaigns whatsoever. This isn't even a critique on the people who provide the match funds. This is a much larger critique of fundraising in general and how we utilize these tools when at the end of the day, we should just say, here's what we're doing. You can invest in this or not. Here's how much it's going to cost us, which is why this is the goal. And let's go. (laughs) Right. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. Gosh, darn it. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. The un- one other piece of um, information that I want to share, since I did read all these fucking white papers, is that um, they did a what's the word? Test. Synopsis. Test. Test. Having a hard word coming up with four letter words now. <laughs> they did a test on direct mail solicitations that involved a match. So. Oh yeah. In most of what we've been talking about, it's been. You know, live drives like on public media in an event. So this is a direct mail piece that goes out. It arrives in your mailbox and they say they have a match. So and they did a pretty nice sample. 20,000 prior donors of this organization. Okay. Um, And they they did a little bit of A-B testing. So they had a one for one match and a one for three. And it confirmed, again, that the one for three had a more negative impact. But they said... The Oh, they also had some with no match whatsoever. Sorry. ABC testing. They saw no statistically significant difference in those who gave without the match and those with the match. Really? Until after the deadline had expired. Then those with the match did see a little bump in giving. So say that again. So... We're trying to raise X amount by June 1st, and we have a match for 50000 and now it's June 3rd. And you start to see an increase in donations. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? It made me think that if you have a true challenge, you should tell your donors that the deadline is earlier than it actually is. <laughs> because apparently Fair. our donors are just slow. Um, but the, the fact that there wasn't a statistically significant difference in the match makes me think, you know, there is something about that in-person energy around match and like, oh, we're almost there. We're getting close. You can't get that in a mailed appeal because it's static. Here's our goal. Right. Who knows how close we've gotten to it. So then, you know, I'd be curious. This, this was done, gosh, eight, ten years ago. I'd be interested to see if they would rerun the study, but with like email campaigns where you are getting more up to the date information you know we've hit half our mark we we just need three more donors whatever it is and if that kind of energy can be simulated in an email context where it clearly could not in a mailed 
that's such a great point because I think about it, you know, we said about using it uh, for a paddle raiser and there's so much of it, so much of having a match is about creating that momentum, yeah. that energy. And it's they're really great for that, totally. especially when you already have your lead gifts set up. And so you know what the match is, you have your lead gifts come in and then you know you're going to hit the match and then everybody's so energized because oh my gosh we hit our match and then it just keeps going 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 i mean it's infectious yeah totally uh i have very little commentary on this but i feel like i should relay this to our listeners so they don't have to read the um economics reports that i did um there were two other important pieces of information in case you are looking to do something like this um this is all from that mailed appeal study they said that if the giving level um, example was too high, and in their case, $75, that had a negative impact where donors actually saw that um, and kind of came up with negative associations with the organization because that match example was too high. And that if the match ratio was below one to one, they had the same kind of negative reaction. So essentially, if you're going to do any kind of match, always make sure it's one for one. Below or above does not pull well. <laughs> yep. And make sure it's attainable. And that, I mean, I think that's true of all fundraising. You don't go out to an unknown donor and say, hey, can you give us five grand? You always start with a lower amount that's, you know, much more accessible to most donors and you build up from there. Same is true in a match context. I think this is really great practical information. And we said we weren't going to be a practical skills-based podcast. Damn it, Brittany. What are we doing? Why did I do this research? Ugh. Offering our audience usable information. <laughs> Damn it, you guys. That's awesome. Well, thank you for looking into that. I did not know those statistics. Um, and that is going to absolutely change what I do in the future. The more you know. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, we want to hear about your matches and challenges. When have they gone well? When they have they not gone well? When did they go into the pool? We want to hear those. Or if this episode has made you think twice about matches, we would really love to hear that too. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So email us, so, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. Um, we have been getting some great feedback on our DAF graphics. So if something that we're talking about feels a bit nebulous, you might want to go check on our Instagram and Facebook pages because we might have made it a little bit clearer. Also, um, I guess this will be after St. Patrick's Day, huh? Yeah, because it's two days from now. <laughs> Never mind then. Um, I hope you all have a great spring break if that's when your spring break falls. And don't forget that, you know, just because you're raising money doesn't mean you shouldn't give it. If you have capacity, now's time. It's always the time. Support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. You know, this will be released the week of Passover and going into Easter weekend. So we could actually wish them those holidays. Oh. Happy Easter. I just want to wish something. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, y'all. Have a good one. 
We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.